As Jack said, we're going through a series this summer of favorites, and uh, I'm delighted that I get to have the favorite of the favorites, uh, John 3.16 and, uh, and Amazing Grace. These two, uh, the song and this verse mean so much to so many of us. Uh, and so I want us to uh, say this verse, which is going to be on the screen, may not be the translation that you memorized, but it's one that we'll share together. So let's stand together and let's say John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you. you. may be seated. This is a very recognized verse as far as maybe just the reference. Uh, you go around, you see the verse John 3.16 on I black of Tim Tebow and other athletes. You See it held up as sign, John 3.16 is a sign in events. So it's a very recognized verse. People, when they know a verse from Scripture or know at least a reference, John 3.16 is one of those they know. It's also a very memorized verse. Uh, we've memorized it as a child or you memorized it at some point in your, your life perhaps. Uh, maybe you haven't, but it's one that many people have memorized. And so I remember, you know, at times when you're at... Uh, gathering with people, and they say, well, let's all quote a verse of Scripture. And after someone has shared, Jesus wept, usually John 3.16 is the next one that comes up that people share. And then when they do share that, you hear people around the room go, well, that was my verse. I was going to share that one. And because we all personalize that verse. It's our verse. It's one that we say. In fact, it's called everybody's verse. A.W. Tozer was a preacher and a writer from years past and Tozer said that when he came to this verse, he would take off his shoes or his heart shoes at least. And he said, I would take off my heart shoes as I came to approach the fact that God loves me. In 1867, D.L. Moody, who was a, an evangelist, a great evangelist from Chicago, traveled to England and to Ireland for a series of preaching opportunities. And in his preaching, he came in contact with a young man by the name of Harry Morehouse. Uh, Morehouse had become a believer, a follower of Christ at the age of 16, and immediately began to preach and became known as a fine young preacher. And in his conversations with uh, Dr. Moody, Dr. Moody just casually said to him, if you're ever in Chicago, uh, come by and uh, you can preach at my church. And so... Uh, Moody didn't really think that he would actually uh, be in a, come to the States and would be around. But after Moody had gotten home, about two weeks later, he received a letter from Morehouse stating that he was in New York and would soon be in Chicago and could he preach in his church. Well, it so happened Moody was going to be gone. They usually had preaching in that time just about every night. Usually Thursday and Fridays were some of the lower nights. And so he was going to be gone that Thursday and Friday. And he said to his associate, let's let the young man preach on Thursday night. If he does okay, then let him preach again Friday night. But just be ready to step in in case he can't carry the load. And so Moody left town. He came back in on Saturday morning. And he asked his wife, as well, how did the young man do? She said he did very, very well. He preached two fantastic sermons out of John 3.16, and you can learn something from him, as wives often do. And, uh, they, so Moody went that night, 
and heard Morehouse preach again from John 3, 16, looking through Scripture at the love of God. And it profoundly affected Moody's preaching the rest of his life. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, crowds continued to come and Morehouse continued to preach using John 3.16 as his passage. Wednesday night was going to be the last night that he would be there. And so a crowd gathered and he again preached from John 3.16 and he came to the end of the sermon. He said, I have tried this week with this poor stammering tongue to, to relate to you just how deeply God loves you. He said, if I could take Jacob's ladder and ascend up to heaven, to the gates of heaven, and ask Gabriel, Gabriel, give me a fresh word to be able to express to the people of Chicago that God loves you, Gabriel would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This verse is a summary of the gospel message. One sentence, 26 words in the original language, but the theological impact of this verse is beyond our ability to cover in just this one message. But we're going to try. And I want to do this with four aspects that we see of so great so great a verse, and in this we're going to see so great a love, so great a gift, so great an offer, so great a promise as we go through this. So first, let's look at so great a love. When you look at the passage, it says, for God so loved the world. I think it's very appropriate that this verse opens up with God. It doesn't begin with us, doesn't begin with how good we are, who we are, and our desires, our wants, our wishes, that we come say, here we are, God, we're here, now you listen to us. It says God, just as the Bible begins, in the beginning, God. This verse begins with God. We must begin with God. Our theology can go, our understanding of God can go no higher than our theology of God. We can, when we take our humanity and we begin with our humanity, we falsely lead to fall, wrong conclusions. We must begin with a theology of God. God loved, and then he speaks of us, and he says, world. Loves the world. John uses that word consistently through his book of John to speak of the whole mass of humanity, the whole wide uh, world of humanity. It does not say he came to a select group or to select saints or to the pretty people or the best people. It says he came to the world. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, it's a great mystery. His grace amazes us. It's a mystery that we cannot understand because it's not based on our worthiness. It's based on his character. His love is based on his character, not our worthiness. And that's grace. Grace, a gift 
undeserved. Danielle and John and Brooke this week did a marvelous job, as well as the other leaders, of sharing that great message of grace with our children. We've already had several who've come to make public their profession of faith in Jesus Christ because of that amazing grace that they have come to know. But it is an amazing grace. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. The first part of that verse, how great is love. It's where did this love come from? It is, this is an out of this world type love. How great is this love? It is beyond anything we have ever experienced or seen in this world. It is God's love lavished upon us that God would do that. In Jeremiah chapter 31, 3, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. In that phrase, that verse, the word everlasting, the Old Testament, they grew in their understanding of what eternity meant. They did not have a, they had a, an understanding, but there became a more complete understanding through the words of Jesus and his preaching and teaching to us of what eternity means. But one of the words that they would use is the word that's used here for everlasting, and it is a word that means beyond the vanishing point, beyond the vanishing point. It's the image of a ship that leaves a harbor and goes across the horizon and goes beyond the vanishing point. And those who stood there on that harbor would know that ship has gone beyond the vanishing point, but yet it still exists. And that was their image of eternity, gone but still. And no, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Beyond the vanishing point in past, beyond the vanishing point in future, God has an everlasting love for the world, an everlasting love. When my first son was born, I have two sons. When my first one was born, I, I remember those first two years, I was just so overwhelmed at how much love I had for this child. I was so protective, and I just could not believe how deeply I could love a child. And then word came that we were having our second child. And I thought, well, this just isn't going to be fair. There's just no way that I can love another child as much as I love this one. It's just not going to be fair to this other child to have to come in and, and me have to share this love that I have. But my first time I looked at the face of my second son, of Rob, I just felt this overwhelming love that I did not know my heart had the capacity to have. And it was there. But there's never a time that God's heart has to expand because of another child. He has, from eternity past to eternity forward, he has an everlasting love. His heart fully in love with the whole of humanity. He loves with an everlasting love. So that word so, God so loved, it's the intensity of his love. It's not just a casual love. It's an intense love for the world. And the world wants us to close this verse right there. Put a period on it. God so loved the world, period. Because we all can say that. Well, yeah, God loves us. Yeah, he loves us. He loves the world. God loves us. But the verse doesn't end. So we have this great love that God gives. Do you know that love today? Do you know that love? 
because there is a great gift that has been given. A great gift. He says that. It's total. It is totally given. This love is a total giving. The word that in this verse means that his love goes beyond just a sentimental, distant love. It's a love in which he gets involved. It is the nature of love to act. It is the nature of love to do. Not the nature of love just to sit back and have sentimental feelings toward, but to action and be involved. And God totally was involved with us. God totally came in his love for us. In preparing for this sermon, I read a sermon from Dr. Arendahl, former pastor here from years gone by, who preached on this passage. And Dr. Arendahl said, God gave the prophets, or he sent the prophets, and he sent John the Baptist, but he gave his son. There's a difference. And there's that word gave. He says that God so loved the world that he gave It is a verb that is a past completed action verb. It is something that is a past completed action, which means it has the fullness completely done. And it was not Jesus coming in a manger, that that's the giving of his son. It is the full event of Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his exaltation. That is the giving of his son to come here. To this earth. He came, yes, in a manger. He died on a cruel cross. And in that, he came and gave his life. And his life was not, he just didn't come by and swoop down and say, hey, look, folks, I want you to know you're loved. We love you. And then leave. He came and lived life with us and then died as a sufficient sacrifice for the whole of humanity without exception or distinction. He made possible the salvation of all mankind. And he makes certain the salvation of those who believe. He made possible the salvation of all humankind, but he makes certain the salvation of those who believe. He gave. He gave as he came. He gave his one and only. Not only did he give totally, but he came and gave uniquely. The word one and only is one word in the original that is translated in uh, King James, begotten. But when we think of begotten, don't think of a time when he was not and then he was born and begotten. The word begotten there speaks of uniqueness. There is no one like him. Nothing else in eternity has ever been like him. He is unique. He is unique in his supremacy over creation. He is unique among mankind. There is nothing else. There's no comparative religions. Will you compare religions? He is not a religion to be compared. He is the unique son of God who came here to this earth. There's nothing else like him. One and only. You know, if you've got several items and someone says, can I have one? You say, well, I've got plenty. Sure, here, have one. But if you only got one, someone says, can I have that? You say, well, this is my one and only, only one I got. 
God gave sacrificially, came to us as the one and only unique one who came. Do you know that gift? Have you experienced that gift? Have you received that gift that God has offered to you? We have so great a verse, so great a love, so great a gift, so great an offer made that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, this is the wide offer to all of humanity, that in him is the sufficient sacrifice for the punishment, for the penalty of our sins. In him is that sufficient sacrifice. In John, John said, uh, looking at, uh, speaking of his love for us, he said, the next day John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And also we have in 1 Timothy, he says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. So he's come for all, come for all of us. And the proper response we have to this, the proper response is for us to believe. The word believe is not just mental assent to a set of facts that we come and we put the facts together and say, well, you know what? I believe that. That's not what believe means in this. It means to trust. It means to yield. It means to give yourself to. It means to respond to him as that unique son of God and say, I trust in your redeeming work that you did on the cross. And I believe that you are the savior, the son of God. And I give my my life to you. And belief is not a work. It is not that God has done his part and then we do our part to join with him to affect our salvation. Belief is a response to the completed work he gave. It was a completed work. It's our response to the completed work that God has done through Jesus Christ. And so we come to believe in what he has done. There's a commentary that I wanted just to share a quote from that that says the full perspective is that God is the initiator and principal actor in salvation. And we should never think that salvation originated with us. It is not a time we say, you know what, I think I'm going to believe in Jesus Christ. It is not something that originates with us. It is God, the initiator, God who's the one who has given salvation. He is the one who's provided that to us. And as we are wooed through the Holy Spirit to come to an awareness of that, we come and the appropriate response is to believe. And by believing in Jesus Christ, by accepting him as Savior, by believing in him, it gives us access to the love of God, to the forgiveness of God, and to new life through him. And so he says to us with this great love, God so loved the world, this broken world that we live in, the people with whom we live with. He loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have the opportunity to receive this great offer that he gives to us. So great a love, so great a gift, so great an offer. So great a promise.
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Our desire is to jump straight to the end of that verse and go to the words everlasting life and celebrate the life that we have. But we have to acknowledge the fact that there are those who are in the position of perishing right now. There are those who are, not, who are separated from this love of God and are in the position of perishing. And the word perish that we have in this text defines everything we need to know about hell. It is punishment, it is destruction, it is banishment. That's what this word means, to perish. Our world and the sensibilities of our world does not like to hear that phrase or not acknowledge that point. There are those who see and hear the writings of someone who may be uh, in position for an office in our government who says this person has said that only those who believe in Jesus Christ are saved or everybody else is going to hell. That's hate language. We cannot have someone who has that hateful language a part of our government. And I ask you, is it hate or is it compassion to tell the truth that there are people in this world who are perishing? Certainly when we think of God in his love, a part of his love is his holiness and his justice. And when we think in this world that there is a moral universe in which we live, in which there is justice that will happen, people will say there are certain people, yes, through history that we can look back to and say that person is deserving of banishment, punishment, destruction. That person, I would say, yes, Put them in hell. But the rest of the world, no, no, no. But how, do, how far back? Let's walk it back. This person that you could think of who is the most vile, wicked person who has ever lived in this world, that person we would say, yes, justice demands punishment, destruction, banishment for that person. Where do we walk it back to? To say the line where now this group no longer, this group doesn't. Where do we come and say, yes, these, this one, yep, this one, yep, okay, we'll put this one in that category. Where do we draw the line? The Bible draws it for us clearly when it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The line says, all. I once stood on this side that said, perishing. And without Christ, we stand in this place. This is not a religious ascent to some beliefs. This is understanding that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That there's one way that we have this faith, that we come to know this faith. And apart from that atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, without the sufficient sacrifice for our sin, we stand perishing. Jesus did not come to this world to condemn you. He came to cleanse you. He did not come to destroy you. He came to deliver you. He did not come uh, into this world to, to, uh, to rebuke you, but he came to rescue you. He didn't come to punish you. He came to pardon So we come to the point that there are those who are perishing, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son the unique sacrifice for the 
punishment of our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our punishment. He took our destruction. When he he took upon himself our sin, he experienced our banishment. And he took everything that is perishing with him to the grave. And when his his resurrection, he came forth from that and it was a past completed action. He paid it all. And so everyone through faith steps into this have eternal life. The world does not like to hear us say, I know for certain I have eternal life. Because they interpret that as we're saying, I'm good enough. I'm better than you because I know I have eternal life. You don't know that because you're, you're a bad person and I'm a good person. That's not what we're saying. We're saying as we come to say, I know for certain I have the gift of eternal life. I know for certain that I have come to the point of knowing that I am a sinner separated from God because of my sin and I trust in Jesus Christ. He has redeemed me. He has paid the sufficient sacrifice the penalty for my sins, and I have been adopted into his family, and now I have eternal life. It's not something in the future that I'll hope to get. It is what I have now. It's the quality of life, not necessarily the quantity of time. It is the quality that we experience through Christ. 1 Peter shares this beautiful passage with us. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How about you? Do you know you have the gift of eternal life? Is it something that you have the assurance today that you have that gift that God so lavishly offers, so freely gives? I want us to stand. And we're going to recite this verse one more time. But this time, as we recite this verse, the first time we said it, we kind of said it a little bit fast and just said it because we know it. It's a recognized verse. We, we recognize the verse. It's a memorized verse. We know it, may not know this version, but we memorized it. But I want us to personalize this verse. I want us to personalize it. And as we say this, I want us to say it with a little deeper meaning. So say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for what you have given to us through Jesus Christ. That we stand here today knowing that it's not our worthiness that brings us into your presence. In fact, our unworthiness separates us from you totally. But through Jesus Christ, you have given to us the uniqueness of this faith that we have 
Different from anything else this world has ever seen and ever known, it is out of this world. It is everlasting love that you have lavished on us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this great gift that you've provided. And now in this time of invitation, Father, I pray that you give strength and help for these who are here today. In Jesus' name, amen.